Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Well, if you would please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. If you would turn to Psalm 84. Again, Psalm 84, we're continuing to look at uh, just select psalms that have to do with the importance of worship. So we looked uh, first at Psalm 68, the relationship of worship to um, persecution, the way God delivers us from our enemies for the sake of worship. Last week we looked at um, the way that worship relates to the question of why bad things happen to good people. And now we will look at Psalm 84 as we continue to look at the importance of worship. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Psalm 84. To the chief musician, on an instrument and an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's go before the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, as we come to a passage like this, which shows such a godly and reverent attitude towards you, Lord, we can often think that we are very far from such a godly posture, that we find our hearts to be much more sluggish and hardened than the psalmist here. And so, Lord, we do ask that by your Spirit, recognizing that this is his work, that we cannot do it ourselves. We ask, O Lord, that you would soften our hearts towards you, that you would cause us to see your glory in such a way that we would be able to say these words to you with absolute conviction, belief, and faith, that they would represent the posture of our heart towards you, that we would long for the worship of your name, For, Lord, we recognize that it is the attitude that we we ought to have because of all the good things which you have done for us in your Son. 
And so, Lord, we do pray that you would, by your Spirit, work this in us for the good of your own name. For we ask it in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Think of some of the things that you really enjoy doing, perhaps a hobby, some sort of interest. If you think of these sorts of things, very often when people have various hobbies and interests, they will think about them often. When they're doing other things, they'll think, oh, if I could only be out doing this thing, this hobby, perhaps it's a a sport or whatever, it could be anything. And when you find someone that shares that same hobby, that same interest, you'll want to talk about that thing. It's something that's uh, always on your mind. It's always in your mouth. For me, growing up, it was basketball. I used to love playing basketball. I would be doing other things, you know, thinking about what, you know, if I could only get out and be uh, shooting some hoops, I would be be happy. If other people liked basketball, I would want to hang around them to play with them. Uh, Even now, I really enjoy playing golf, those sorts of things. Uh, There are interest hobbies, and, and my enjoyment of them can be seen from the way my heart is towards them. That I, I think about those things and I will often speak of them if I can. Here, the psalmist is laying bare his heart before the Lord. And what is being emphasized in this particular psalm is that in the same way we might have those sorts of interests that cause our hearts, our minds, our words to often be focused on one particular thing, such is the attitude of the psalmist towards the worship of God. When he is not in the worship of God, it is the one place that he wants to be above all else. When he's unable to go, his heart breaks and he has this great longing. Anyone who gets to be in God's presence and to worship God, that is the one for the psalmist that is supremely blessed. The worship of God dominates his words and and his thoughts because he loves the worship of God, and that because he loves God himself. Above all else, the psalmist here is saying that our hearts ought to be drawn out to the worship of his name. Now, the psalmist does this in the form of a prayer. That's what Psalm 84 is. One of the things that we see from this particular psalm, since it is given in the form of a prayer, it's instructive for us for how we ought to pray, but not only the content of our prayers, but even the way Prayer is to be related to our heart, the way it ought to be a reflection of the things that we long for. Godly prayers, they don't just teach us how to pray, but they also teach us what ought to be in our hearts. That is to say, if you come to Psalm 84, we ought to be able to pray this back to God. But if we're going to pray such words back to God, it needs to be a reflection of our hearts. And so, as we begin here looking at this psalm, is this, is this the kind of psalm that you can pray from the heart? Or do you find your heart being very much different from the psalmist here? Can you truly say, my, my heart and flesh faint for the worship of God? That those are supremely blessed who get to go there. What we see from this psalm is that all of those who love the worship of God They love the worship of his name. Those are the two things which are connected. The psalmist shows his love for God by showing forth his love for the worship of God's name. Now we'll look at this passage under three headings. Um, 
We could say under four headings, the last verse is, is a, a bit of a summary of the whole. We'll look at this verse under uh, four headings. First in verses one to seven, we'll see how the psalmist longs for the house of God. And then in verses eight and nine, we'll see the way in which this longing affects his prayers, that he actually uses his longing for the house of God as a reason to pray for the good of God's anointed, which is the Messiah. And then we'll see the reasons given for answering the prayers in verses 10 and 11. And then again, a summary in verse 12. So look with me again at verses 1 to 7, particularly verse 1 as we begin. The psalmist begins with a description of the house of God or the tent of God, the tabernacle. This was the place where God would meet with his people, the particular special place where God's God's people could be in his presence. And here the psalmist describes the tent of God, the tabernacle, as being lovely. Now, there is a very real sense in which the the tent of God, the, the meeting place, the tent of meeting, is objectively lovely. It is lovely because God himself is there. But in this word, there's, there's something else going on when the psalmist describes it as lovely. Lovely in, in, in English tends to, tends to have the connotation of what something is in and of itself. But I think perhaps a better way to understand this word is beloved. How beloved are the tents of God, the tabernacles of God. That is to say, it is not only objectively lovely, which it, it of course is, but it is beloved. It's, it's something which the psalmist himself has his heart drawn to because of it being objectively lovely. It's, it's lovely and it causes the psalmist to say, and I myself find it to be so. This was, again, the place where God would meet with his people. If you were to ask the psalmist, why is it that the tabernacle of God is lovely? Well, the answer would be very simple. God is there. There's nothing particularly lovely about, um, you know, the sacrifices of bulls and goats. I'd imagine it would be very, very messy. If you didn't understand what was going on, there would be nothing really to draw you to those sorts of things. But the reason it is so lovely and so beloved by the psalmist is because God is there. And everything that's done in the tabernacle is meant to show forth this great reality. So it is lovely to be in the temple of God. It's lovely to look at these sacrifices which point to the grace of God, that God has made a way for us to be in his presence, that it's lovely to be able to see in the sanctuary the glory of God, to behold in a way that you can't in any other place in the world, to see the actions of the priests as they make atonement for sin, and even to receive the blessing, knowing that God shines his face upon us as we meet with him in the tabernacle. For the psalmist, this is what makes the tabernacle lovely. God is there. Now, as I even as I say that, you may say, well, isn't God everywhere? Isn't God just as much in the furthest recesses of space or in the deepest parts of the ocean as he is in the tabernacle? Well, there is a sense in which that is true. All of God is in every place. And so there's not really a distinction in terms of presence where God is. But there is another way in which the scriptures use the idea of presence. 
And that is a presence where man can actually have communion with God. If I were to be present with you in, say, a dinner or something, really the 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 importance of me being present with you is that I can have some sort of communion with you. And if I can't really have communion with you, I'm not really present in the same way with you as I would be if I could. And this is really what's going on here. God may be in every place, and all of God is truly in every place, but the place that you can go to be in God's presence so as to have communion with him and to behold his glory in a special way, the place where God himself has promised that he has set his name, that is the kind of presence which the psalmist is here speaking of. And in the Old Testament, if you were to go anywhere in order to have that kind of communion with God, you would have to go to Zion. You would have to go to the house of God, the place where God had put his name. And you would go there in order to behold his grace and his glory. And so the psalmist says, how lovely are these things. And truly, it is a lovely and great thing to be able to behold God's glory in those places. And the result then comes in verses two to seven. Because the house of God is so lovely, the psalmist then begins to describe how his heart longs to be there. Notice in verse two, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now, it's important to understand the context of this particular psalm. It it appears from, from this verse and others that the psalmist appears to be in something of an exile. It's in this way very similar to Psalm 42, where the psalmist does not appear to have the ability to enter into the house of God regularly as he once was able to do. And perhaps as uh, the sons of Korah here were uh, likely, um, they were likely contemporaries of of um, David, in terms of these ones that are being referenced, this is likely a reference to uh, David's exile when he was uh, forced out of Jerusalem, the place where he reigned from by his son Absalom. And then all of the people who went with him were then no longer able to enter the house of God in the same way. Now, if you were to have to leave your home and be in a situation where you could, where you had various inconveniences with that, you were in exile, so to speak, and you were in a place that was um, barren, not only physically, but spiritually, there was not, uh, you, were, you were separated from the church. Would, would your attitude be the same as that of the psalmist? For the psalmist, of all the, the potential inconveniences that could, that could come with being outside of one's home, of being persecuted perhaps even to death, of having uh, perhaps a limitation and certainly a, a limitation in comforts, but even of necessities perhaps, for the psalmist, the one thing above all others that is the disadvantage that most strikes his heart, the one thing that he wants more than anything else to be restored to him is to be able to enter into the house of God. I am gone. I cannot come back. And this is the one thing that occupies my mind, that I am unable to enter into the house of God. And so he he says this of his own soul in verse two. 
He then gives a very interesting metaphor in verse 3. His heart is so drawn out to the worship of God that in verse 3 he says, you know, even these various birds, even they have a kind of advantage over me. Even the birds get to be in God's house. And here am I stuck outside. There's a sense in which even the bird who has even no reasoning is yet more blessed than I am because at least the bird gets to be close to God in the, in the house of God. I would rather be even, even a lowly bird if it means that I get to perch my nests close to the altars of God. And then he says in verses, verse four in the beginning of verse five, going then to um, the actual people who still get to be there. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Those are most blessed for the psalmist who get to be in the house of God. There is simply, there's simply nothing better than that for the psalmist. And notice how as well, in this psalm and to this point, there is a very clear connection between faith in God and the worship of his name. That it's really all of those who believe in God who have at least something of this attitude. Now, there is a weakness that all of us have because of our sin. But all of those who have been redeemed by Christ truly understand that God is one who ought to be worshipped. This is, this is, notice the connection in verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. How blessed are those who dwell in your house? They still will be praising you. So blessed are those who are the worshippers. But then notice the beginning of verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, which is an Old Testament metaphorical way of saying one who believes in you, one who, who trusts in you with all of his heart. Notice that connection. It's, the psalmist isn't talking about two different people. Those are blessed who are always worshiping you. And those same sorts of people are those who put their trust in you, who have all of their strength in you. Those who love God love the worship of his name. There's a clear connection between those two things. Now, as the psalmist continues to describe this blessing, he goes on in the second part of verse 5 to the end of verse 7 to describe those who would go on pilgrimages to Zion. Now, remember, God had chosen in the days of David to set his name in Zion. This was before the temple was built, but it was still in, in those days that that particular location was, was set. And in the law, all the tribes of Israel would have to appear before God three times a year. And they would have to do it in the place where God had chosen to set his name, which in the days of David was designated as Zion. And so here the psalmist is describing not just the blessing of those who are in the house of God, but the blessing of those who make this journey. Blessed, How blessed are those who get to make the journey and appear before God? Now, this, this first phrase, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. In the original, it's something more like whose high, the highways are in his heart. That is to say, even when the psalmist is away from the house of God and he's longing to get back there, he doesn't even just... He doesn't even just have his mind set on what it would be like to be there. But even the journey is something of meditation for him. Oh, if I could only be on those roads. 
Though even the roads that lead back to Zion are in my heart, if I could only find a way to get on those roads and to move back towards the worship of God, that, that is what is the constant thought pattern of my heart. Not only are those blessed who are there, but blessed are all those who are able to even go. And even as they, as they appear, notice the way the psalmist describes this journey. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. Now, the valley of Baca in, is, um, it was, would have been on the way to Jerusalem, to Zion. And it was apparently a, a very, uh, desert place, like a, a wilderness. It would not have been a, a very pleasant place to be. It was associated with mourning. The word Baca is very close to the word for weeping. And so what the psalmist is describing is someone who is on his way to the worship of God, and they must pass through a difficult place, something like the Valley of Weeping. And yet, as he goes, he's blessed. Even if I have to go through incredibly difficult things in order to make it to the worship of God, I won't just go through them but I'll go through them happily. My heart is set on going through these difficult things. My my heart is set on these particular highways. Even if it's difficult, I can go through them with not only without um, being concerned about the difficulty, but even with great joy. I'm excited about going to the house of God, and there's really nothing that can take away my joy in coming before God. And remember here, when, as we talk about the, the blessing of being in the house of God, this is a picture of what we get to do when we join with God's people week in and week out for the worship of his name at church. Remember, if, if you may have noticed, even as I was praying, the great number of advantages that we have over Old Testament saints. This psalmist is speaking of the privilege that, that those people have of making a journey three times a year only three times a year to appear before God. And when they get there, they will only be able to stay in the outer courts. They'll never be able to go into the holy place or into the most holy place. They have to stay on the outside. And they go to a place which is only a pattern of the heavenly realities. Now, with all of these disadvantages, the psalmist's heart is still so drawn out to the worship of God that he says, there's nothing better in this world than to be doing that. And those are most blessed who get to do that. Now, you brothers and sisters, think of the advantages that you have. Every single week, you enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of the eternal Son of God. Not not with just a pattern of the reality, but you have the reality of the thing itself. Is your heart drawn out to the worship of God in this way? And if you go through difficult times during the week, Is your heart like the psalmist here? I may have to go through a valley of Baca in order to get to the worship of God, but as long as I can make it there, I know I'm going to be okay. Is this your your attitude towards the worship of God? Yes, the week has been tough, but there's coming a day soon. It's only a couple days out. I will appear before God in the heavenly Mount Zion. I will commune with the triune God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will get to have that sort of fellowship and to hear him speak, God himself speak to me. I will get to, to with all of God's people, worship and praise him and know that he's hearing me 
and that he even is going to sanctify me, make me more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ and fit me for heaven. This is what you get to do every single week. And it is a great and wonderful privilege that ought to be something that enables you to get through the difficulties of the week, to know that I get to go and to be in the presence of the very living God. This is the longing that the psalmist describes in verses 1 to 7. Now, this then becomes the foundation for the petitions that he makes in verses 8 and 9. Now think about this. If if this was your attitude towards the worship of God, what would be the things that you'd pray for? Now, it, the, the most obvious one would be, Lord, I'm not able to go. Please enable me to be able to go and to worship God. Now, that is something that is prayed for in other, in other psalms. Think of 42, Psalm 42, uh, where the psalmist is saying, Take comfort, O my soul, I will again be able to appear before God. It's okay. The bad things are going to be resolved because there's coming a day where I'll get to be in God's presence. Or think of, of Psalm 27. One thing have I asked. This alone will I seek, that I might dwell in the house of God, that, my, that I might look upon his beauty in the sanctuary. So there are examples of this, where the one thing that is asked is to be in the presence of God. But notice here, there's a connection between the longing for the presence of God and a particular prayer for the Lord's anointed. Notice what the psalmist says in verses 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield. And look upon the face of your anointed. Verse 8 is a plea that God would hear his petition in light of all of the outpouring of his soul before the Lord in verses 1 to 7. And then in verse 9 is really the the petition proper. What is it that, that the psalmist is actually praying for? That God would look with favor upon our shield. The shield of the sons of Korah and of the people of God as a whole. Which is in parallel structure with your anointed in the next Uh, in the second half of the verse. Look upon the face of your anointed. Now, if you you know about what it means when we speak of the Lord Jesus as the Christ or as the Messiah, you'll know that it means that he is the anointed one. That's what it means. And so here, when it's saying, when the psalmist is praying for the good of your anointed, he's praying for the good of the Messiah of the Lord. There's this connection between seeking the good of the Messiah and appearing before God in worship and longing and desiring for those things. Now, what would be the connection? Why is it that such a longing for the presence of God would lead you to pray for God to be, to look with favor upon the Messiah? What's the connection between those things? Well, I think there's a at least a, a couple of connections. First, for the sons of Korah here, Um, They likely have, at least in view in part, uh, David, David himself, who was anointed by Samuel as the king of God's people, anointed with oil, which made him a Messiah. He was one who ruled and defended over God's people. And here there is a very strong connection then between the one whom God has anointed and God looking with favor upon him and those whom he rules being able to enter into the house of God in worship. Those two things are connected. Now, they're very pointedly connected in um, what was likely the historical setting of this psalm. When David was in exile, 
that all of those who loved the worship of God's name now could no longer enter into the house of God. And even, even before that, it was only as David conquers Jerusalem as the king and then brings in the ark into the place where God had chosen to set his name. It's only then that the place was set for God's people to come and to worship him. There is a connection, a very strong connection between the actions of the Lord's Messiah and the people of God's ability to enter into the presence of God. They are dependent upon the actions of the Messiah. And so the psalmist says, Lord, be gracious to the Messiah that I myself might be able to appear before you because I know I can't unless you bless him. And the same thing is true with the Lord Jesus Christ, of which this was a a great picture. Even as the people of God in some small way could not enter into the presence of God without David, so too in a very much greater way, no one can enter into the presence of God without the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we read that passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, because we have such a high priest, one who's been anointed to be not just the king, but even the prophet and our priest, who has made a way not just to, to set the, the name of God in a particular place, but to actually open the veil so that all of the people who call upon God's name can actually enter into the Holy of Holies. Lord, look with favor upon that one and establish him that I might appear before you to worship. It shows that there is no way to enter into the presence of God and to have communion with the living God except through the Lord's anointed, except through the Messiah. We can only come to the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. And so then it's very, very fitting for the psalmist to pray this. O Lord, my heart is drawn out after the worship of God, Be gracious and look with favor upon your anointed that I might enter into the worship of your name through him. That's what the psalmist is praying. Oh Lord, I love you. May there be nothing that gets in the way of the worship of your name and look with favor upon your anointed that that might be preserved. That is what the the psalmist, what what his heart is drawn out after, what he prays to God for. And notice then in verses 10 and 11, he gives a number of reasons why he prays this. These are words that you're probably very familiar with. Why is it that he prays these things? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand, and it implied a thousand in any other place. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There is simply nothing that compares with the worship of God. Better is one day than a thousand days elsewhere. Is this your attitude towards the worship of God on the Lord's Day? The Lord's Day comes one in seven days. Every seventh day, there is a Lord's Day where God himself has set apart the day for the sake of the worship of his name. Here the psalmist is saying, if I had a thousand other days that were not the Lord's Day, that were not the Sabbath, I would easily prefer the worship of God's name on the Sabbath over those days. There's no other day where you get to go into the presence of God. There's no other day where you get communion with the living God. And this really is the closest you'll ever get to heaven. This is a, the whole thing is a picture of heaven. 
And this is what he gets. And so he says, I, you know, I'm praying these things because it's, it's just simply better. I just love to be with God in the worship of his name. And I would rather have the lowliest position within the church. Let me just hold the door for others as long as I can get to be there. Give me any kind of prestige in the world, any any kind of it in any other circumstance, in any other context. I, I don't long for the tents of the wicked, no matter how much prestige there may be there. Let all that be stripped of me and let me simply be able to be in the house of God. And because of that, that's the reason why I ask you, O Lord, look with favor upon your anointed. May his kingdom be advanced that the worship of his name might be established. This is the way the psalmist prays. There's nothing better than the worship of God on the Lord's day. Notice the second reason then which isn't so much a reason for why the psalmist is praying these things, but a reason why the psalmist has confidence that God will, in fact, hear him. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Think about how wonderful this is. I know that God's going to hear this prayer. When your heart is in line with uh with the scriptures in such a way that you can pray the prayers of scripture. One of the great things that it does is it shows that your heart is in line with the heart of God himself. And so you can pray with great, great confidence. God is a sun and a shield, and he doesn't withhold good things from those who trust in him. I know that what I'm praying for is for God's own glory. And the God who is gracious, who is good, there's no way he's going to withhold this from me if I ask it from him. That's, that's the confidence of the psalmist. God wants to be worshipped. God is one who de- defends and protects. He's the almighty God. My heart is drawn after this thing, and I know for a fact God is not going to withhold this from me. God is one who gives good things to those who love him, and he doesn't withhold good things from his people. He is going to hear this particular prayer. And that's the confidence that we always have when we pray for things that are in line with the word of God. If we can truly pray them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means we pray for those things through him, but it also in some sense means we there are things that we could pray for him in some sense. We pray for the good of his kingdom. That's a prayer that, of course, God is going to hear. We, we pray that the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted up all over this world. That's something that God is going to hear. And whenever there's a derivative benefit of that for God's people, how, how, much, how great is that? We can pray for those things and say, Lord, don't just hear us for, for our sake. Hear us for the sake of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we can pray like that, we know that we have the ear of God, that he hears us and that we have the things which we ask from him. And so these are the two reasons then that, that the Messiah gives, that uh, the sons of Korah give for their prayer, which is then summarized in verse 12. There's a summary of the whole thing. O Lord of hosts, blesses the man who trusts in you. What, what would be the blessing based on this psalm? It should be obvious by this point. Those who trust in God get to be with God. That's, that's the whole thrust 
of this psalm. How blessed is the man who trusts in you because it's that man who will be with you forever. It's that man who will get to appear before you in Zion who goes from strength to strength. And if you are here and you do not believe in God, if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, there may be a number of benefits that you would have from turning from your sins and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to understand that the thing that is being offered here to you this morning is that you get fellowship with the triune God. That you'll have your sins forgiven, not just for the sake of having your sins forgiven, not just for the sake of the escape of punishment, but so that you can actually have fellowship with God. Your life may get very much more difficult outwardly. But what the gospel provides is a way to receive the grace of God, to then have to go through very difficult circumstances and to say, Lord, if it means I get you out, I will with all joy give up all of these things. That is what is being offered in the gospel. Now notice here, as we conclude, for the psalmist, the worship of God is not a duty. It is a duty, but it's not burdensome. It's a duty, but it is first and foremost the greatest longing and desire of his soul. And think of how natural that is. Think of what little you deserve because of your sin. That if God were to give you justice outside of his son, that he would be perfectly just to punish you for all eternity in ways which are unspeakable. And that's something that you've earned because of your sin. Think of a God who, even though he's the one that's been sinned against, yet sent his son to bear the weight and penalty of people who did that even to him. And then who raised him from the dead in such a way that all those who then believe in him can have everlasting life and they themselves can defeat and conquer death. This is all of those who have received grace in that way understand this is really not a burden. Doesn't, doesn't God, what, what else would I, what else could I possibly do? Doesn't God deserve at least that much that one day in seven, I would put down other things and remember all the grace and glory that God has shown to me in his son. And it's not even just abstractly, it's grace that God has shown to me that was not deserved at all. It's a personal thing. For all those who have been enveloped in the grace of God, what else can we do? And even, even beyond that, there's the joy of being with God and having communion with him that happens at church during the worship service. Once God himself calls us to worship, he's calling us into his presence. And then when we leave, he pronounces his blessing upon us. Between those two things, we are in the presence of God in a way that is, that is, it's simply the closest you'll ever get to heaven. There's simply nothing else like it. If you cannot enjoy church on Sunday, if you can't enjoy the worship of God, you have to ask, I mean, how much capacity do you even have to enjoy heaven? There's, there's no difference. It's, it's the communion with the triune God. So may God grant you the grace 
to grow in your love for the worship of his name, that you might be conformed more and more to the image of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you'd be able to pray even this prayer with all of your heart, that your soul would long and faint for the courts of God. Let's pray. Lord, so much of what you have made reveals your glory. When we think of, of the mountains and the stars and the oceans and seas, we look out and we see beautiful things. And when we see such beautiful and glorious things, our heart are drawn out to them. And yet, Lord, we find ourselves so often sluggish towards you, the creator of those things, the one whose glory so far outstrips the mountains and the trees and the oceans and the stars, that they are in a completely different category. Lord, how we pray that you would give us eyes to see your glory and that our hearts would long to behold that glory as much as possible all the days of our lives. And Lord, even then that you would transform us as we behold your glory, even as you did with Moses, as he beheld your glory and then reflected that to others. Oh Lord, may, may we be so transformed by beholding your glory and may others see it in us and may they be led and drawn to the worship of your name. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. We know, Lord, that we fall so short. Forgive us, O oh Lord, and help us to grow in grace in this way that your name might be worshipped. We, for we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.